Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. We are talking uh, health conversations right now. Uh, I would like you to please join us on the line by asking your questions on 0891-104-207. We are talking the nature of uh, the COVID-19 strain. What does it look like? What is it made of? And to talk to us about this on the line, I've got Dr. Lavinia Singh, who's a medical specialist at KwaZulu-Natal Research, Innovation and Sequencing Platform. She's also um, at the Nelson Mandela School of Medicine at UKZN. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Lavinia Singh. Thanks for having me. Now, Dr. Singh, what we'd like to firstly find out from you is where does COVID-19, also known as uh, coronavirus, come from? Where have scientists streamed it down from its origins? Okay, so uh, COVID-19 is the actual uh, disease caused by the virus known by SARS, COVID-2. Um, we must remember that coronaviruses are generally present throughout the world and are mostly identified in animals. However, sometimes these coronaviruses can cross species barriers, and this is known as a zoonotic transmission. And um, where we've actually analyzed the genetic makeup of the virus, it most uh, closely resembles the bat coronavirus. So basically, analysis of the genetic material uh, points to a zoonotic event between uh, that transmission to a human one. So now, um, Dr. Singh, how how have scientists uh, linked the bat virus to human virus? How did the transmission happen there? Um, so what happened was, and how we made this uh, conclusion, is that from the first uh, sequences were the first patients that had a signs of pneumonia earlier, later last year, and earlier in 2020. Those patients, we had the viral genome extracted from their body and sequenced to get the, uh, the nucleotide order of whatever pathogen was present. And when we compared that sequence to um, other sequences in databases, we, it led to the discovery that this was most closely resembling that of a bat coronavirus. The transmission was um, it's still debatable, but it, it is linked to the Wuhan Chinese wet market where bats are sold and consumed and things like that. So it's not a conspiracy theory. It is uh, one of the links scientifically that uh, this particular virus did uh, originate from the bat market that is in Wuhan, then transmitted to human beings and then moved across uh, the globe in that manner. Yeah, so there are many of those conspiracy theories out there that might have been large manufactured. Um, however, most of the, there's no, there's no foundation for that. There's nothing to prove that. However, there is analysis that has been done, and it does show, um, in no uncertain terms, that this virus is a product of natural evolution or natural selection, where this virus naturally uh, gave rise to mutations in a manner that can't happen as a result of genetic modification. 
Dr. Singh, um, we are struggling to hear you very clearly. So what I'd like to please ask you is that you perhaps remove us from a speakerphone if that's where you've got us on or just bring the mouthpiece closer to you so that we can hear you more clearly. I'd like us to continue speaking about uh, the, the virus and its transmission. What, what does it look like? I mean, when we speak about viruses like the HIV uh, virus, we, we, we know that HIV virus is, has a particular um, uh, biological makeup. Is, is, is there a way that you could perhaps describe to us and our listeners what the biological makeup of the COVID-19 virus looks like? Sure. Uh, firstly, I'm not on speakerphone, but are you able to hear me better now? Much better, much clearer. Okay, okay, good. Um, so the virus, it is made up of several structural proteins that uh, contribute to its structure. Um, so the name corona is derived from its like crown-like appearance. And that is uh, due to the spikes that protrude through an envelope that envelopes basically the viral genetic material. Um, so it's mainly four of these um, structural proteins. Uh, it has various other non-structural proteins that are involved in its normal replication activities. Um, it has an RNA genome, which is similar to that found in influenza and HIV. Uh, in humans, we have what's known as a DNA genome. Uh, so there are those similarities there. Um, and overall, it has a nucleotide, it has a genome size of about 30,000 base pairs. So if you can imagine with humans, where our genome is composed of more than 3 billion nucleotides, this virus has only 30,000 nucleotides in its genome. Now, when, when it comes into the human body from uh, wherever it has originated, whether it be bats and uh, whichever other origins that might come up as scientists continue to investigate, when it comes into the human body, what makes this particular virus um, so unique that it is difficult for scientists to actually combat it by finding uh, a vaccine or even finding a remedy for it? Okay, so once the virus enters, remember viruses are what's known as obligate intracellular parasites, which means that it has to have a host cell in order for it to replicate. So unlike bacteria, which can replicate independently, viruses need to attach to a host cell and then sort of hijack the host cell's uh, machinery, cellular machinery to replicate its own genome. So when we talk about finding therapies for viruses, it's a bit more difficult than it is for other bacteria and pathogens. Uh, this is because of um, treatments that you might find that is directed for viruses. There's no way of discriminating between how it affects the host cell. So where it might be effective at targeting the virus, it also leads to damage of that host cell. Now, if scientists are aware of this particular makeup and its uh, impact on the actual cells of the human body, what has caused the, the difficulty in finding a remedy for it? Um, so, so, like you would know, or you might know that the only virus that we have been successful at eradicating is, in fact, smallpox. Uh, for every other virus, we have in antivirals in use but those also need to be changed as resistance builds up because the viruses are more susceptible to mutations. So they evolve to escape current treatments, current vaccines that might be available. Uh, so similarly with coronavirus, um, 
we, there are a couple of treatments that are in the pipeline um, that target specific steps in its replication st- cycle or target specific components of its, of its genetic material. Uh, these two, they have to be subject to a whole host of clinical trials before they are proven effective. But basically, it's the high rate of mutations that uh, arise in, in viruses as compared to other pathogens that lead to the slow uh, production of, of therapeutics. Is it factual that uh, this particular virus was created as opposed to it being a natural occurrence? Uh, can you please repeat that for me? Is it factual that uh, the coronavirus or the COVID-19 was lab-created as opposed to it being a, a natural virus that just occurred? Uh, yeah, like I just said, I, I am in full support that it was not lab-manufactured. And all of the genetic analysis done to date have clearly indicated that it was actually a result of natural selection of the virus. Um, so there are still ongoing investigations going on by various researchers global, globally, including the World Health Organization. And uh, to confirm the exact origin of this virus, still something to be done. I've got a caller on the line, Dr. Singh, and uh, it's Vincent in Cape Town. Vincent, thank you very much for holding the line. A warm welcome to you. Thank you. Uh, I have a question, I mean, regarding the issue, I mean, which you have been uh, listening, the origin of corona. That is something which, I mean, it, it happened from the bat, whereby the waste of the bat, it was consumed also by pangolin. And the view to that is where it jumps, I mean, in that uh, market where they were selling wild animals. But my point is this, for many years, people in West Africa, they have been eating bats and pangolin. We haven't get those cases of, I mean, coronavirus. And even before it started being spread in Africa, there were some cases in the news, even in a, 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 a eyewitness news, which were showing people in West Africa, they said they were eating bats and pangolin. But there was no corona. So how are we, I mean, West Africa people have been eating the same thing, there was not, I mean, cases of corona, but today we are being told it is originated from the bats to the human being. So that's the question I'd like to find out. All right. So, uh, Dr. Singer, in response to Vincent in Cape Town, um, you've heard the question. Yes, I have. Uh, thanks, Vincent. Um, what I can suggest in response to that is maybe this also proves further my previous point that this was, in fact, a case of natural evolution of the virus. Perhaps it took the time that it had to be identified up until uh, late last year, the beginning of this year, that evolution had to reach that point up to now where it has, in fact, become that transmissible, that virulent. Uh, maybe previous incidents of where these bats and pangolins had been eaten in West Africa, perhaps at that time, the virus had not mutated to that extent as it is now to cause the pandemic that we're seeing. Dr. Singh, I've also got another question here on our WhatsApp line. I'd like to remind our listeners that if you want to ask Dr. Singh um, any questions related to the nature of the COVID-19 um, virus, you can uh, call us on our number, which is uh, simply 0891104107. You can also WhatsApp us on 0614104107. WhatsApp, we've got uh, here a comment that says the Chinese ambassador to UK said it doesn't or originate in China. It was only discovered there. What's the difference?
Uh, yeah, so the origin has yet to be proven, and there are various groups worldwide uh, working toward either proving or disproving a multitude of, of, of theories. Um, the origin of it, the actual geographical uh, origin of this with the symptoms that arose, the pneumonia and all of the things that we saw in the initial outbreaks, those were uh, originating in, in Wuhan. Um, the actual animal reservoir or for all of the other theories where it was lab manufactured, all of those things, unfortunately I can't comment on that. That has yet to be proven. Excellent. Uh, Dr. Singh, we are going to have more uh, WhatsApps coming through right uh, after this. Late Night Conversations. Late Night Conversations. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. SAFM leading the conversation with me, Patricia Nduli, on the Late Night Conversations. We are having health conversations right now with Dr. Lavanya Singh, who is a medical scientist at the KwaZulu-Natal Research Innovation and Sequencing Platform. She's also at the Nelson Mandela School of Medicine in UKZN. We are talking about the nature of the virus, COVID-19, the coronavirus that we are all talking about. Thank you very much for holding the line, uh, Dr. Singh. And I'd also like to just remind you that at home, you can call in. You can ask your questions. Our line is 0891-104-207. I see the WhatsApp line is buzzing. And uh, you can also send your WhatsApp uh, voice notes. Make them short, sweet, and precise on 0614-104-107. First voice note. Hi. Uh, thank you for the good show. I just want to find out what impact does it have, this virus, uh, in line with a person that has a glaucoma, a glaucoma as in an eye pressure problem. Thank you. Dr. Singh, um, uh, did you hear the question? I did. Uh, I'm not sure that I'll be very uh, good in providing a response because my uh, my background is not a clinical one, but more of a scientific one. Um, but I can try to answer that. I'm just not sure that there's been many studies done to address specific conditions such as glaucoma. Um, uh, similarly to other conditions, I think the main ones that are focusing now on are um, conditions such as diabetes and hypertension and HIV as well. Uh, but unfortunately, I've got no information on the impact that COVID has on, on these type of, of populations. All right. And I've got another question here. It says, good evening, SAFM. I want to know from the doctor if the coronavirus, is it a living thing that can survive outside a human host? Uh, okay. So historically, there's been much debate about whether to qualify any virus as living or dead. Uh, as I said earlier, viruses have to have a living cell in order to replicate. So by virtue of that fact, they they don't have any live component, component, so to speak. Um, having said that, they are actually able to survive on surfaces to large amounts of time, and that has been demonstrated with the novel coronavirus that we, we're experiencing right now. Um, studies have shown that the virus can survive for up to uh, 72 hours on plastic and even stainless steel surfaces. Um, and also up to 24 hours on, on usual 
surfaces like cardboards, for instance. So yes, they have a limited uh, time at which they are viable. Viable is and non-viable is a more scientific uh, term that we use as opposed to live or dead. Uh, I hope I answered that sufficiently. And during the time that uh, this, the virus is actually on a particular surface outside of a host cell, um, how, how quick or easy is it um, to transfer from that particular, let's say, uh, a cardboard box to a human being's hand and then from there into a human being's host cell? How quick is that process? That's highly dependent on, on the nature of the encounter of the, of the person with the cardboard and how the person's behaving. So if that person is not practicing uh, good hygiene, washing hands or, or things like that, it's quite easy then to transmit the virus from the cardboard surface or any other inanimate surface and, and become infect, infected. If the patient, if the person is regularly practicing good hygiene, avoiding touching the eyes, mouth and nose, which are known to be the common routes of transmission, then the possibility of acquiring that virus is then much lower. All right, I've got uh, from Morris here on our WhatsApp line. He says, how is the coronavirus different from a Spanish flu? Is it true that coronavirus is as a result of bio, uh, biological effects of the shock waves? Uh, biological shock, shock waves of, of the Spanish flu? Well, he, he, I, I'm sure it's two different ideas here. He asks, what's the difference between coronavirus and the Spanish flu? And then he says, is it true that the coronavirus is as a result of biological effects of shockwaves? Um, yeah, so just to compare quickly um, the coronavirus with the Spanish flu, uh, the, the, the cause of which was influenza, uh, there are lots of similarities between the two viruses. Um, the most obvious ones are that they have they have the same symptoms and they are transmitted more or less the same way. Um, there are, however, marked differences. Um, but just getting back to the similarities between the two, they have a very high uh, transmissibility. Um, so the Spanish flu, the high rate of, of transmission also led to the pandemic which we saw, and that's similar to what we're seeing right now in 2019, 2020. Um, I'm not sure I understand the second part of the shockwaves part of it. All right. Um, No, it's okay, Doctor. I think let's move on to the last SMS because there's quite a lot of WhatsApps that are coming in. But because of interest of time, let's just uh, do what we can. Um, I've got another one here that says, Hi, uh, my name is Raymond. Can one get coronavirus for a second time? How long can the virus survive on surfaces? We've answered that. And lastly, how has attention to other major illnesses like cancer been affected? So I think the first um, and the last part of this question are quite important. Um, can one who has been coronavirus positive then recovered, can they then get it again or are they then immune afterwards? Okay, so um, there's no data to uh, confirm that once you have been infected with coronavirus, you have then uh, antibodies which make you resistant to reinfection. There's no data to support that just yet. And we are also unsure about how long your immunity from the primary infection lasts. So it is possible to be reinfected and certain studies have also shown 
that people that were initially thought to have been recovered, uh, their tests are coming up positive. We are still seeing traces of the viral nucleic acid in these patients. So there's still enough studies that have to be going into to, to answer this question in particular. Thank you so very much, uh, Dr. Singh. Uh, we really, really appreciate your time here um, on uh, SAFM uh, leading the conversation. And to everyone who sent, excellent, and to everyone who has sent uh, their WhatsApps, unfortunately, because of time, this feature is only 30 minutes long. So please do make sure that you send those WhatsApps quickly so we get enough time to go through all of them. There's only so much radio time that we are permitted. But for everyone, please do tune in and we continue the conversation, late night conversations with me, Patricia Dooley.